people crave. Electrolytes. Call you Brondo. It's a idiocracy reference. Have you seen that movie? There isn't a more applicable film, I think, to our current timeline than Idiocracy, starring Luke Wilson. They start feeding Gatorade equivalent to plants because <laughs> of the electrolytes. It's a whole thing. But strangely apropos for today's cast in terms of uh, dystopian futures and just bio stuff, biology. <laughs> and things that should not have happened have happened. We were so caught up with whether or not we could make a new Jurassic World film that we never stopped to wonder whether we should or rather if we should make it a good movie or just a shitty movie. Well, here we are again. Back again. And Back something, at it again. Something, something has just happened to us. Um, I feel violated. <laughs> I feel like my childhood. I feel more for you. But uh, this one's a, a real deep cut. Real, mm-hmm. real deep cut. As deep as they And go. I'm not talking about playing a playlist for y'all. I'm talking about when something cuts so deep <laughs> that it hurts. It hurts, it hurts even more. Yeah. It, it reaches back into your rosy, what's the expression, where you look back on the past? Rose-colored rose glasses. Rose-colored, rosy glasses. <laughs> it reaches back into your past and rips out the, that thing you loved most from your childhood, that thing that inspired you, that you dreamed about. Yeah, we should talk about the background for me personally really quick. I'll yeah. try to get through it as fast as possible. 1993. Set the stage. How 1993. Old are you? You're six. I'm six. <laughs> I see Jurassic Park for the first time. Spielberg's classic first Jurassic Park film. My parents questioned whether even I was too young to see it in theaters. They, my dad was like, "Yeah, it's fine." So best thing your dad ever did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw it, and the beautiful thing about Jurassic Park was that up to that point, there was nothing in this way of the advancement of computer graphic imagery. So when the characters were seeing a dinosaur for the first time in Jurassic Park, we as an audience, collectively humanity, was seeing what the potential was for computer graphic imagery, or what we now know as CGI, or, you know... CG sequences or, or dinosaurs or creatures, whatever. And it was a sight to behold. There was magic, John Williams' score, beautiful. The whole movie uh, had this amazing theme that they pulled from Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton. Crichton. My, yeah. Crichton? I think so. Michael Crichton? I always thought it was Crichton. Michael Crichton, whatever. They pulled <clears throat> from Michael Crichton's, Crichton's book, and there's this this massive subtext theme going on the whole time about again whether or not to stop to think we should do something and and then nature versus humanity essentially yeah um he's a legendary author yeah anyway beautiful film as soon as i left the theater my life was changed and i had i've never been the same there's a lot of people that feel this way about this movie a lot of people my age especially whose life was changed by jurassic park and and many people in the film industry that are my age are in the film industry because of Jurassic Park. And there has never been, in my mind, as good of a film in the Jurassic Park franchise. And that's also why it's my personal favorite film to date, still. All time? Yeah. Because it's it's deeply tied into my history, my nostalgia. It's the thing that inspired me to do what I'm doing today. And it can stand up 
in an argument against like what could be potentially the best movie ever made because of its advancement in technology and, and everything that it did. And it's uh, also just a really good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it could, it could stand that like, you know, battle when you're having a beer with your friends, like what's the best movie ever made? Oh yeah. Jurassic park, Godfather, citizen Kane, whatever. Yeah. Uh, back to the future, you know, I think it's the most perfect marriage of practical effects and CGI. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I could talk a lot about Jurassic park, the behind the scenes. I've seen every behind the scenes. When I was a kid, I watched another movie. I, I immediately knew there was something special, not just about the movie, but about filmmaking. Yeah. I went to a, a grocery store. I, I saw it for the first time when I was, we were on vacation in Palm Springs. I went to the grocery store in Palm Springs. I found a behind the scenes like magazine of how they made Jurassic Park. And I got that and I was so fascinated with Jurassic Park, but I was more fascinated by how they made Jurassic Park because I was so interested in the filmmaking process. And I was six, mm-hmm. Gabe. I was six. That's crazy. I can't even remember when I was six. Yeah. <laughs> so it's deeply tied to me. I should say Jurassic Park Lost World came out four years later. I was 10 and I was in fourth grade. It was the worst elementary school year of my life. Damn. Because uh, I was in a private school that year and uh, I was tortured. Um, waterboarded. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. Spiritually waterboarded. But, you know, that was a highlight of the year. Jurassic Park 3 came out four years after that. It was not directed by Steven Spielberg. And in my opinion, there was a massive drop. And I think my opinion is that there has not been a good Jurassic Park movie ever since Spielberg stopped directing the movies. They've been okay or like semi-entertaining. But the magic that you can find inside a Jurassic Park movie, a Steven Spielberg-directed Jurassic Park film, is unmatched. It's unparalleled. And it's been missing ever since. And Jurassic World was a relaunch many, many years later. And it's directed by this man named Colin Trevorrow. Colin Trevorrow, I could talk a lot about. I I did a deep dive into him because I was so interested in why Jurassic World was just not as good as a Steven Spielberg film. I couldn't understand why Universal would hire somebody that couldn't match a level of Steven Spielberg filmmaking. Like, like, say, like J.J. Abrams or something. Because J.J. Abrams with Super 8... Very, you know, similar E.T. vibes, all that stuff. Like, why wouldn't they hire somebody like that or who could at least attempt to take a swing at what Spielberg was able to create with the original film? Anyway. Was Colin always their first pick for Jurassic World? I don't remember, oh. to be honest. Because he only had one feature, right? Yes. Before that. And I, I was confounded at why Universal picked, they picked this man to take this IP, this intellectual property and run it forward with but Jurassic World is a huge success because people missed the original Jurassic Park and this was the closest thing this was the only thing that we got that was close to it but it it made so much money that it outdid at the time Avengers 1 at the box office and it was it was like a smash success and Colin Trevorrow even though that movie was in my opinion, pretty poorly directed at the first Jurassic World film. Colin Trevorrow kind of failed upwards because it, it made money, right? And that's what that's what speaks in these blockbuster IPs. Yep. <laughs> so then a few years go by, Colin gets swooped up because he's a moneymaker. 
by Star Wars and Disney. He's now going to direct episode nine <gasps> after Ryan Johnson's episode eight. So they hire a different director to helm the Jurassic World sequel, who's an actually a great director, just a shit story. So that movie sucked. Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, it's called Fallen Kingdom. What an appropriate title. Poor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Poor J.A. Bayona. J.A. Bayona is great. I mean, if he's listening to this, you made a fantastic, a, fin- a fantastically directed film with just a terrible story. But I really liked his direction. It's funny because the first one had a good story with bad direction. The second one had good direction with a bad story. And then Conchavaro, something happened with Disney and Star Wars. We don't know what, but he got let go or he left. I'm assuming they realized what a bound director he was. And then they like got rid of him. But then he came back to direct the third in what has now become a trilogy of Jurassic World films, Dominion. And it, it got delayed like almost two years from its original release date because of COVID. And now he finally just came out today which is actually the day before the original Jurassic Park came out in June 11th of 1993. Wow. And it's June 10th today. Anyway, so we just saw it. It's my favorite, (laughs) the sixth movie in the franchise, my favorite movie of all time. And Gabe? How do you feel, Steven? (laughs) Where are you at right now, psychologically speaking? (sighs) This movie right now has a 38 on Metascore. It's the lowest rated by critics, it's the lowest rated Jurassic Park franchise movie of all time. Worse than Fallen Kingdom, which was the worst in the series. Worse than Jurassic World and worse than Jurassic Park 3. And is it deserved and why? Okay. <laughs> I don't even know how to begin talking about it. Like, How about I, a basic basic premise? Oh, okay. Yeah. So some stuff goes down. A couple years after Fallen Kingdom, <laughs> dinosaurs broke containment. And they are all over the earth now. They're just everywhere. In the wild, living side by side with humanity and the rest of the natural world. Interesting premise, by the way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to do with that story. Oh, there's plenty to do. There's a lot to do with that story. But our story isn't really about dinosaurs, is it, Stephen? No. There's a new evil corporation called Biosyn. Can we just talk about that for a second? Let's talk about that. It's called Biosyn. As in bi- uh, biosynthetic, but yeah, the biosyn pun is no, not as lost in, on... Yeah, it's... It's a sin. <laughs> it's literally an evil corporate... Uh, an evil <clears throat> biotech company corporation. Biosyn. It's a sin. <laughs> like in the Bible, like a, like a missing the mark of... Yeah. Or a deterrent from the original intention. Biosyn. I kind of love it. It's the worst... <laughs> name it's 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 as bad as unobtainium from avatar yeah what was the other... what they called the substance that they that was this precious material being harvested on the avatar planet this is the first time unobtainium seen... biosyn <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> it, and this is the first time i think we've seen these guys right we've had other corpos in the past in jurassic world and jurassic park yeah there originally was ingen yeah. which was one of the financers of uh in the in the jurassic park lore one of the financers of what was going on in the original parks. And then InGen got taken over by some other company that doesn't matter. I think it was Honestly, Amazon. <laughs> I stopped keeping track when... When the fourth film came when out. When the fourth movie came out, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, anyway, Biosyn has developed, this is the main plot of the film, a uh, new strain of locusts, big bugs we're talking here. And they're destroying the world's... Jurassic uh, bugs. 
crops, essentially. And they're essentially leading us towards a potential food crisis. They're eating all crops that weren't created by biosyn. Yeah. Which they don't really expand on a whole lot, like <sighs> the nature of that. And also, like, I'm still confused about our... Uh, Interesting, because this movie's about nature. <laughs> yeah. Our big bad Dodgson, I'm still unclear as to what his intentions were with the the locusts, because initially they're just like, were they meant to destroy all crops? That weren't biosynths? Yeah, he wanted control. Okay. So he so that so that only his crops were left so he could control the food chain. Because BD Wong They said that earlier in the film. Gotcha. I see. Okay. They're like, they want to control the food chain. And And, he's like, Yep. Yeah. And so this is happening. Uh, dinosaurs are on the periphery of our story here. And also what is important is that the girl who is (laughs) there's a young girl from the second Jurassic World film who is determined to be a clone she's a uh, cl- she's a clone a clone she's of the a- first successful human clone because yes. genetic engineering is important to the jurassic park franchise uh-huh. they can make dinosaurs from nothing perfect and they made a human from nothing and now they want her back so she's been living out in the she's the link to she's solving some human genetic problems yep yep that's why they want her back so she's kidnapped by Biosyn agents or mercenaries working on their behalf from Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. Basically Jared Leto. So for the next two hours of a two and a half hour film, we are chasing her down uh, in a globetrotting adventure film. Yes. Uh, which that has mirrors. nothing to do with dinosaurs other than the fact that they're everywhere. <laughs> it's like a spy movie, uh, espionage, thriller, Indiana Jones, adventure Bond. Bond. Wait, <laughs> wait, there's one more. Fast and the Furious. Yes. Yes. This was Fast and the Furious with dinosaurs. Yes, it was essentially that. Then that actually, I, I thought it's something in the film would be great for the next film if they continue this if, franchise. Honestly, if they put Fast and the Furious and Jurassic Park together, <laughs> I would have enjoyed that more than what we have here. Well, here's if my- If Dom would have sh- like rolled up in a car and been like, let's go, Fam. We got to get out of here. <laughs> I want I want in the fourth Jurassic World film, I want there to be a human dinosaur hybrid played by Idris Elba and he's trying to take over the world. Dude, I'm not kidding. That was actually one of the early like plots from one of the one of the uh like a script that was being written for like a what? Jurassic Park movie at some point. Stop. I'm not kidding. I'm not <laughs> no, kidding. It's too much. It's so too much. much so that they created a toy line, an actual like merchandising toy line based on that script and those uh, hybrid dinosaur human genetic people, dinosaurs, and and they didn't know what to do with it because the Jurassic Park movie never, but they had already made all these toys, so they put them out they, under like a different marketing, under a different name. Was this pre-Jurassic World? It was pre-Jurassic Park 3, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, that's my idea, and we know if it happens that it came from this podcast. Oh, I should say too. I still, to this day, I'm, th- I'm a 35-year-old white man. I have, <laughs> I still have every single Jurassic Park toy I have ever owned, including like the original compound, the electric fences, the original T-Rex, the wow. original Triceratops, the original vehicles. I have all of them, and, and from both Jurassic Park and The Lost World. Was there a toy set piece that was like uh, Sam Jackson's arm, like dangling out of a underground? No, but I have the Dennis Nedry. Where he, you press a button and his arms come off. What? Yeah, because he gets eaten by the Dilophosaurus. That's awesome. Yeah. Do it, you have all these toys? 
Yeah. We should play with them Still. sometime. No. <laughs> okay. Now again. <laughs> also important for this film is we have returning. Is it important? Our, I mean, you know, pertinent to this podcast uh, because that's what we we're doing. We need to say, we need to talk about it because it has to do it's with the It's painful, but it, it, it needs to happen. Uh, back from the original film and from, you know, dispersed throughout the other films are the original three heroes. We have Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum all back and hanging out together for the first time since the first film. And it feels feels good, you know, to have them back. It's a little, it feels a little shoehorny sometimes. But yeah. Jeff Goldblum does steal, we need to just say this now, he is amazing. He is as good as he's ever been. He looks great. He talks great. And it feels like his lines were just potentially imp- <laughs> improvised on the set because they were, they just, it was the best parts of the film. Yes, 100%. Okay. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you guys, pop off. I'm going to tell, I'm not going to pop off. I'm going to tell. <laughs> Go King. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell the audience that whoever's listening to us right now, my feelings about this movie. It, it was so disappointing and so underwhelming. Ouch. And so tonally dissonant with itself. Yep. That when it did anything right, I was elated. Because it felt good. It was euphoric. You actually smiled. So, but I have to say, the only things they did write were essentially all of the lines with Jeff Goldblum's character. They were so funny. Yes. There were actual funny moments and funny like lines of dialogue that I was actually surprised because everything that had happened up to that point was so... I like... It was so... Not interesting. No, it was just, it was so chaotic and, and strange, like that the tone, it didn't feel like any Jurassic Park, it didn't feel like a Jurassic Park film. Yeah. But when, when everyone finally got together and it was dark because dinosaurs at night, like scary dinosaurs at night attacking the crew is like, that's the thing that kind of makes the feeling of Jurassic Park. When the Giganotosaurus finally rolled out and Jeff Goldblum's there spouting off things and they're, they're trying to like regather to like go back out and figure out what to do to fix the problem, whatever the problem was, like to GTF out of that place. That was like the best feeling of the whole movie. And it felt for a moment like Jurassic Park again for a brief moment. But it was so brief. But it, and it was also, like I said, everything up to that point was so tonally dissonant and strange that like when it got to that place i was like oh wow they actually like pulled off a feeling there you know and i was surprised by that because i wasn't expecting anything up to that point and so i did enjoy that one part um yeah yeah the story and the tone of this movie was pretty nonsensical all the way through even in the scenes like from shot to shot the things that were happening were just kind of bizarre You mentioned as we were leaving the theater, like in in particular, there's a character played by, uh, I think it was, her name is Diggin Lockman, who plays this like mercenary for hire who's trying to capture the girl at one point. And she just like walks away from gunfire at one point and then just walks. I don't know. So much of what happens in this film is just, it doesn't make any sense, even when you're suspending your disbelief for a dinosaur movie. So it's pretty hard to be immersed in what's happening on the screen to get involved with and invested in the story personally anyway, but it was pretty funny. So I did laugh plenty throughout the movie, both with and at the film. So yeah, there were a lot of moments. It wasn't a total wash for me, but I would agree. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. 
<laughs> there were a lot of moments that I actually was laughing out loud at how bad the action sequences or the set pieces were. It was like, for, like, for example, like there was this point where fire locusts are raining out of the sky, which was actually kind of cool. Visually pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then the Giganotosaurus bites one and then like breathes fire for a second. It's a fire burp. But like a lot of fire. And I laughed because dinosaurs have always been compared to dragons. There have always been talk of whether or not dinosaurs could actually breathe fire. So I thought that that was funny that they, they threw that in there as like a, like a wink. Wink and a nod, probably. Yeah, we've jumped the dinosaur in this movie, I think. Yeah. You could say. There's a little play yeah. on words there. Yeah, but you can't jump the shark because Spielberg did that with Jaws. Oh, is that where that expression came from? Jumped the shark to, to become like ridiculous, to lose all sense of being grounded and reasonable? No, that came from, <laughs> uh, that came from Happy Days, actually. Oh. Yeah, it's when fawns like literally oh. water skis and jumps over a shark that's right that's i was right. joking about jaws jumping the shark jaws did not jump the shark right i yeah. was just making a shark joke spielberg never really jumps the shark well he's he tries you ever see bfg <laughs> oh oh that's true he yeah he did make that jumping the shark that's what jurassic world dominion is <laughs> <laughs> okay so there was one other thing i liked about this movie like i was saying when everybody finally got together and there's a lot of banter and, and um, overlapping dialogue, which is always nice to have because it feels real, feels natural. Yeah. Because like, they were doing that back in 93, uh-huh. haven't done it since because these, these movies are so cookie cutter. The Jurassic World films are cookie cutter. That having them all together was pretty nice. And then there was one small action sequence that felt really good. It was when Maisie, who's this cute little girl, I hope she has a big career. She's the clone. She's the clone, yeah. She's climbing up a ladder, and there's a cage around the ladder to get up to a glass hiding place. And the Giganotosaurus comes and chomps around the cage, and she's in the middle of that ladder, basically between the jaws of this this big dinosaur. And the cage keeps crunching like and in, in, in closing in, and she's screaming, paralyzed by fear. That was a beautiful moment, because it, it felt a lot like original Jurassic Park, where you're putting... Uh, again scary dinosaurs at night with kids being in danger screaming it felt very very jurassic park and i loved that one tiny set piece because i i think one of the cool things about spielberg and and honestly any proficient filmmaker is when they take something that's kind of nuanced and throw it into the script or throw it into a scene kind of like how uh, alex garland does you know like little tiny nuances like small tiny realistic things that like you could throw into a scene instead of it just being helicopter crashes in a car it's it's like no there's like they set the stage for this ladder that has kind of a cage around it this dinosaur comes i didn't expect it but clamped around the cage and she's stuck in on the ladder paralyzed by fear that was a really cool moment that was about it so it was jeff goldblum's lines and that one part where Maisie's stuck for like 20 seconds yeah we did get a couple cool new dinosaurs in this film. Yeah, true. Oh, that was that was true. Yeah, so the Demetrodon, which were the the kind of like lizard uh, dinosaurs with the the big fin in the cave. You'll see them, and they're like they're like hunting the trio who was going through the cave at the time. That was so cool to see because that was one of the original dinosaurs that was um, I think it was originally planned to be in Jurassic Park one, but they cut it out. 
um, but they still made a toy of it. And so I have had a toy of that dinosaur since I was six years old. Just waiting to see it on the big screen. Yeah, and we never have seen it in a Jurassic Park film. It was also really cool, in my opinion, to see the return of uh, the Dilophosaurus, which we, again, have not seen since Jurassic Park 1. So the fact that they got not one but two scenes where you see the Dilophosaurus and you see them pop their, their frill out and spit their venom and was really, really cool. I loved that one sequence in the Hyperloop where you see him upside down for a second coming down at you. Yeah. Now that was another cool thing about this film. There are a lot of awesome moments where they utilize practical dinosaurs very well, which they were not able to do with the first Jurassic world film. Jurassic world fallen kingdom did a pretty good job with the look of practical dinosaurs, but this one by far had the most. And uh, I thought they looked great when they were practical. Yeah. Yeah. What did you say the scissor hands dinosaur was? Yeah, it's called the Therizinosaurus. That was my favorite. That one had a good scene with Bryce Ellis Howard I enjoyed where she was like getting into the water. Pretty cool. And it teamed up with the, I mean, spoilers, it teams up with the T-Rex <laughs> at the end to take down the Giganotosaurus. Yeah. The Therizinosaurus, I think, has a has a moment in Prehistoric Planet, which is the new Apple TV series documentary series by with david attenborough which i would actually recommend if anybody actually likes dinosaurs or wants to see something really cool with dinosaurs prehistoric planet is such an awesome beautiful journey and honestly probably has even better cg computer graphic imagery than this film does at, at parts but yeah there's a really cool sequence of that same dinosaur it looks a little different it's I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's the same dinosaur. I could be wrong, but had the claws and the the very hairy back. But yeah, Jurassic World Dominion. I'll probably watch it again <laughs> in like fifteen years, ten to fifteen years. Yeah, maybe. When like I'm a little bit older and I'm like I'm like I'm kind of bored one day and I've I'm on a Jurassic Park kick and and I like like maybe I should just watch this again and then I'll watch it and probably be like ah what a missed opportunity. Yeah. And that's ultimately how I'm feeling. It's, And I felt that way out of every Jurassic World movie. They just feel... It feels like Babe Ruth is striking out. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty good... Like swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. You're out, babe. You're out. Get out of here, babe. Yeah, you're gone, babe. My heart's broken. Babe. I will say I <laughs> want to throw a little love on the uh, some of the new cast members they had here. We had Mamudu Athi. I hope that's how you pronounce his name, who we saw in Archive 81 earlier this year. He's kind of like Jeff Goldblum's assistant in this film, and he was pretty fun. Wonderful. He's a great actor. I want to see him in 100 more things. I absolutely loved DeWanda Wise. Big crush on her as Kaylee, the pilot who just flies our main characters around. I really liked her character, and I liked I I did like her. Uh, I mean, after her first scene, her intro scene, that was kind of strange. Yeah. But um, how did you feel about Campbell Scott's Lewis Dodgson? He is the head of this biosyn. They should have just hired Mark Rylance. That's true. He did ha- kind of have that thing going on. It was like it was almost like Colin Trevorrow was being lazy, and he was like, "I don't want to tell you how to do your character, but go watch Ready Player One, or uh, or uh, Mark Rylance's character in Don't Look Up." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I kind of liked what he was going for. It 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 felt like fun to go against the grain of like the mustache twirling, you know, CEO, but, and it was, I, I, I have to say there were a couple good 
human moments in this movie mm-hmm. that I liked too. I actually liked the the biotech corp company thing. I did I did like it. I just thought it was a little bit I didn't like the setup, but I liked the payoff. And I hated that like narrator woman that came in at the beginning and the end of the film that like basically set up our film and yeah. then ended our film by yeah. summarizing it. I that bugged the shit out of me. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of weird. And that, that I think, was one of the things that made me feel really badly about the biotech company. But I liked the look of it. That was my favorite set piece in the whole film. It was, like, the only thing that actually made me go, huh, that's actually really cool. Was the that labs? Like, that la- that, well, that big circular lab oh, yeah. that rested kind of above the forest that they were in. And then, like, the very Apple vibes, like, walking around on, like, an Apple campus kind of thing or, like, Google. Yeah, where did Google all campus. those people go, by the way? Because that the whole base was in a remote Dude, location. I thought about that. And I also thought about how when Ellie Sattler and Alan Grant, these very well-respected doctors in the world. Dinosaur. They were like, you know, it's really hard to get into Biosyn. And then you get on there and <laughs> Ian Malcolm is giving a lecture to, like, 30 touring students. Yeah. On the on the campus in the park and you're just like where did okay, if it's hard for Ellie Sattler and Dr. Grant to get on, why the hell can these 30 random students, these fanboying, fangirling students get on to just puff up Ian Malcolm's ego? That was so weird. Yeah. I and then yeah, they all just disappeared in the end. That's a great example of all you, the clunky elements that were just sort of thrown into the film. Yeah, because that I felt like that every few minutes there's like a head scratching moment that didn't nothing kind of makes sense and I'm asking myself what's happening. So, what is happening? And we like we were talking about uh Dick and Lockman, who is this random kind of secondary villain. <laughs> yeah, secondary villain that shows up. She seems to be badass and then like she's running around trying to escape and she fights Bryce Dallas Howard for a second and then Bryce jumps out a window and then she runs back and she just stands there as she's caught by Chris Pratt's character and uh, the the other dude from the first movie. Omar Sy. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> and and she doesn't do anything. Yeah. Like and and you're just <laughs> like, why were you badass and you were running, targeting people like like sicking your raptors on them, and then all of a sudden you run back and then you just put your hands up? It was so weird. There's a lot of nonsensical character actions in the film that just made. Zero sense. One of my favorite was when Chris Pratt launched Bryce Dallas Howard into the forest because, like, I guess they wanted her to be closer to, like, getting to the lab. But then Chris Pratt and DeWanda Wise just land, and they're fine. They go find Bryce Dallas Howard, who's been, like, barely surviving through this dinosaur forest. It just, it doesn't, it's, like, so bizarre. Like, things things happen in this movie. I hated that shot when they they strapped the camera, essentially, to, like, Bryce Dallas Howard's chair oh yeah so it's like it's that pov shot and it holds on for far too long <laughs> as she's like falling and screaming yeah they're trying to get you i think to feel uncomfortable <laughs> clearly it worked <laughs> but not for the reason of uncomfortability that they wanted right i felt uncomfortable because i thought it was poorly directed i was like i'm uncomfortable by how this is directed right now i was watching that scene blaming colin the whole time anyway we did have bd wong back though he looks great still yeah, yeah, that's actually a good point. B.D. Wong, his character being in this film, obviously, you know, we kind of expected that because he's been in the last two. That was interesting. They made Henry Wu a uh, kind of a centerpiece flagship 
tentpole character in these Jurassic World films because he also is a returning cast member from the first film. But they gave him a little bit of like a redemption story in this, and a lot of people liked that because he was villainized in Jurassic World 1 and 2. And there's also a few other redemption arcs that I liked because I, I, it was hard for me to watch Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler not together in Jurassic Park 3. So the fact that they get back together in this film, spoilers, I thought was really cool. There were a lot of other cool redemption parts to this as well. A few that I can't even think of, but really cool to see at least that they like tried to like make people feel better about some of the choices in the whole franchise, you know, up to yeah. this point. Colin really reached for a couple of those dramatic moments, those melodramatic moments. Oh, there, there was a lot. Yes, you're right. He did. But there was, sorry, I just keep, I'm continuing to think there was a lot with, um, Ian Malcolm, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character. Oh yeah. Especially the things that he said, like having five kids. He even had a offhand comment. He was like, Jurassic World, not a fan. <laughs> yeah. Which is almost like a meta dig at these Jurassic World movies. Which is weird that it came in the worst one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think this is the worst one. I think <laughs> I think I enjoyed this only slightly better than Fallen Kingdom. Oh really? But like we were talking about it, comparing it to Godzilla versus Kong, which is a movie that you thought was an abomination. Yep. Can't stand it. <laughs> I, which is so funny to me because I thought that that movie was actually the best out of the Godzilla Kong films that they were building. It's okay to be wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I would take Godzilla versus Kong over this every day. Yeah. If, if it was like you're locked, you're locked in a room with your eyes strapped you're like 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 it's open. clockwork orange yeah taped open <laughs> and you have to choose one movie to watch on repeat i would choose godzilla versus i'd Kong. hold my breath until i die <laughs> <laughs> no it's not fair i mean that's that's not fair yeah ultimately you know who i feel bad for is the dinosaurs because these poor guys are just trying to exist right yeah. like we have and this is another funny thing is we're pretty like torn on our sympathy for the dinosaurs in this film and like there's there are scenes where like chris pratt's like choking out the the spitter dinosaurs and it's just like everything feels kind of weird because i'm i don't know like we're it's this first time i've ever thought about this in the jurassic world or park films is like we're, we're bringing these things back just to like everyone's losing here yeah <laughs> and then the whole idea of like us having to coexist at the end or the dinosaurs having to coexist amongst humans and other you know dominant animals on the planet today it was clearly like a meta commentary, meta social yeah. commentary on humanity today. Well, there's a lot of divisiveness societally. I think Malcolm even had a line about uh, comparing it to like other stuff that was happening, like climate change and mm. whatnot. Mm. So yeah, the, the subtext was there. Um, and I, I didn't mind that. Like the whole uh, outro of the film, when that girl you don't like is like to commentating on what's, she's like breaking everything down for us. She's literally, they could have picked anyone in the seven to eight billion people on planet Earth to, to, <laughs> to do that voiceover. Well, I think they nailed what they're going for, which is that super obnoxious, like almost synthetic speech. They should have just picked a Fox News anchor person and just oh. used them. It would have actually played better. It really would have. I always roll my eyes when we have like real life people playing themselves. No, except no, it was, it, there was no person on camera, just voice. Oh yeah. That's what I'm saying. It was literally just voice and they picked that person. Yeah. I just thought it was like really annoying. I, I'm not trying to focus on this too much, <laughs> but like it also, 
I mean, just voiceover in general in a montage at the beginning and the ending of your film usually means that you don't have a quality film because if you have to, at some point, like have a montage that sets up your whole movie and then ends your whole movie, like it usually means you're trying to tell the audience too much, or it means that you are doing something that doesn't need to be done. Because yeah. because it's yeah. excessive and redundant. Maybe they just thought it had been so long since Fallen Kingdom. Nobody had remembered who these people were because <laughs> nobody cares. It's been four years. Or th- in world, I think they said it had been four. No, in our world. Oh, in our since world? Since Fallen Kingdom. What was it 2018, I think? Because the first one was 2015. It was 20, 2018, yeah. So it's been four years since that well, movie. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. It lines up. It all works. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they'll make another one? In this franchise, like this story, not should they, because we know they shouldn't. <laughs> I, I don't know if you, if maybe they had said. My, they I were. think my brain just shut down. It's like when you asked that, I was overload. Like, just thinking about more of these is upsetting. Honestly, the way that they set up the I, oh, by the way, <laughs> one of the other big things that people have always like, they've done fan films, fan scripts, video games based around this idea. Was Dennis Nedry's from his th- the first movie? He drops the can of shaving cream. Yeah, and it, it gets covered by mud when he gets attacked by Dilophosaurus. They brought the can back in this movie. Finally, <laughs> did nothing with it. They just had it tossed aside again as another character gets eaten by Dilophosaurus. So wink and a nod. Dilophosaurus. Dilophosaurus. Sai. Whatever. Yeah. There were three. And. Anyway, <laughs> I'm getting mad. <laughs> there's there's just no reason they should have done that. They should have left it. I can't even believe they did that, to be honest. Cuz it's that's actually like a really big fan thing. Like the, like that lost canister of of dinosaur embryos. You that, think it was just on- a can in this film? Like it or did it have stuff in it like eggs? I'm I'm thinking that was the can. Oh. Of embryos. But the thing is, is that like, it, I think Dotson, the guy who hands Nedry the, the thing in the first movie says it can only be refrigerated up to like 36 hours. So you have to like transport the embryos from one place to another. They have to be refrigerated. So who knows what happens to those embryos, you know? Anyway, I don't know what they're doing with that, but that was just, to me, that was an egregious act <laughs> to throw that in there. Well, what else could I, continue. oh, the score. Oh Yeah. God, I gotta look up who did it. Yeah, who did the score for this? Oh my God, you know who it is, dog. It's our boy. No, it's not. Giacchino. Is it really? Yeah, it is. Okay, this was probably one of the most forgettable Michael Giacchino scores I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming. Yeah, he probably just outsourced it. You know, it's like Hans Zimmer has an army of composers. Maybe Giacchino is at that place now. I know, but Giacchino sounds like... Giacchino. Can I get that uh, with some Giacchinos? <laughs> can I get a double Giacchino, please? Okay, apart from... There were moments where the original John Williams suites would come back in and they would they would play off of each other pretty fluid. And, and honestly, a lot of the times they came in at the right moments, especially toward the end when when everyone was getting together, getting the gang back together again. But... The rest of the score just felt extraordinarily generic yeah. and shoehorned in. And, man, it bums me that that was Michael Giacchino because 
Yeah, these things make me wonder what Steven Spielberg was, how his level of involvement. I wonder, like in his old age now, you know, if what he thinks when he sees these films. Well, what's crazy is. I've always said that Spielberg can still make good movies, especially if he has practical effects rather than CG. Cause he, I think they're relying upon CG too much, I think has forced him to, to basically have no boundaries and he could like do anything he wants with his movies, but he's still able to make a good film. If you watch West side story, we all loved that movie. It just came out last year and he's capable of still making amazing films. I would kill to see another Jurassic. Spielberg Jurassic Park film. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. I would actually kill someone for it. <laughs> I would literally kill somebody. But I, yeah, I, uh, it, it's confounding. Like I'm, I'm absolutely dumbfounded, confounded. What's, what's another word for it? Like flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted, Gabe. I am. I'm actually flabbergasted <laughs> at why, why Colin Trevorrow? He's shown, he's shown nothing. <laughs> nothing, Derek. He has shown no inkling of capability when it comes to directing, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. The the thing that frustrates me is, like, if I know that I could do a better job, just put, put me in that opportunity, I will do a better job, then something's wrong. <laughs> right? Am yeah. I thinking too much of myself? Well, no, I mean, it's the bar is uh, slow. <laughs> it's low because of me. No, no, no. It's low because I, of I him. do think you... I mean, as someone who loves the franchise as much as you do, I think you could do a good job. Yeah. As is, I mean, you know, most people who are passionate about a thing want to make sure it delivers on the legacy. Yeah, or just wait for somebody to come along and do what, you know, Denny did with Blade Runner or Dune or. That's um, not how the world works, so we got to make money. Gotta you know, make money. Kaczynski did with Top Gun. Like, and that's a great comparison. It's like you have this amazing movie that we have that is a reinvigoration of, you know, an otherwise dead franchise compared to this. It's, it's just night and day, you know? Yeah. It is pretty funny. I know, I know you like the star Wars sequels more than I do, but it did make me think of like, yeah, the, that too. That's the, a good... the trajectory of this uh, installment made me think of the star Wars sequels. Right. And it's just so funny that Colin Trevorrow almost did rise of Skywalker. Of course it was a different story when he was doing it duel of the fates or whatever but it's like this reminded me of rise of skywalker in terms of its breakneck uh pace and kind of just stuff like we throw so many things at the wall because we want to just put it all in there i don't know yeah yeah at the end of the day i would still honestly watch rise of skywalker over this film so that's where we're at (laughs) that's where we're at rise of skywalker was a great movie compared to this oh yeah it was like (laughs) Oh man, what a fun film! You know, I would I would watch that all day. I mean, at least that one had lightsabers. <laughs> True. And like stuff. <laughs> yeah. How did we get two biomes? I don't know. I have so many questions about this film, and I don't think there are answers to those questions. You know, like yeah. the Biosyn base was wasn't it in the snow? And then there's like a rainforest <laughs> right next to it. I'm so confused. That was confusing. Like, what? What is happening? Maybe it was that electronic net that they cast. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Who will never know? Because this movie, I won't see it again for 15 years. Yeah. I'll probably never watch it again. But I would like I to watch... I already forced you to, to go see it this time. I mean, I was probably going to see it just because that macabre, you know, that morbid curiosity I have would have 
lent me, you know, it would have directed me in this, into that chair, mm-hmm. but, and I don't regret seeing it. Cause like we had fun making fun of it and we laughed with the theater was laughing with and at the film. The direction in this is so obvious. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing, there's no, there's no magic. Yeah. It's like, imagine Jurassic Park with, with all the magic sucked out of it. Yep. That's, that's the bottom line. That's, yeah. that's our, uh, yeah. Our bio for this cast. The magic is gone. So here... And we killed it. At the <laughs> at the very end is one of the forgettable tracks by Michael Giacchino. What if we just played the main theme? Nope. I refuse. <laughs> no. I love Jurassic Park. <laughs> I would absolutely love to play John Williams' original score for you guys, but it's not going to happen. I thought... <laughs> Here's a forgettable track <laughs> okay. by Michael Giacchino. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> 